be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Since many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Holding up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Some time ago, I bought a bowl, a large-sized bowl with a handle on it, a bowl that was designed for soup, maybe even for salad. And that bowl fulfilled its purpose by doing what it was made to do by the maker who made it. It was meant to hold food, and that's what it did. And in doing so, it did and completed its purpose. At some point, either intentionally or unintentionally, it will be either thrown away or broken. And then will cease to do the work its maker meant it to do. And so it is with all purely material things. There is a picture on the wall back there of a Ukrainian bishop. He was a passionist priest, a bishop in Bulgaria. His name is Eugenio Vosilkov. His dates are 1900 to 1952. I therefore assumed he was a martyr to communism in Bulgaria. So I asked Father Justin Kerber, the rector of the cathedral, who's a passionist priest, about this particular bishop. He said, yes, he became a bishop. He denounced the communists, and so he was arrested. He spent five years, five months in prison, and was then shot. His body was thrown into an open grave, so we have no idea where he, his body is. But 
his sister was given the striped shirt that he wore in prison with a bullet hole in it and blood on it. He said during those five months that he spent in prison, he was terribly depressed because he thought that he had failed. Where in reality, it may be that in those five months and with his death, he did exactly what God had been preparing him to do from all eternity. He was doing what the Creator meant him to do. He was fulfilling his mission, although it didn't seem so at the time to him. That can be true with us, too, since we all have a mission, something God gave us to do. It may not be something wonderfully great. We may not even realize it. But some things we do, the life of a, uh, a parent, your employment, whatever it might be, that's part of the mission. And that brings us to today's gospel. St. Luke has a prologue in his gospel. He's the only, go- the only evangelist who does. St. John is what we call a prologue, but St. John's prologue is basically a summation of the whole gospel. Here St. Luke writes a preface. Let us know what he's doing. Since many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the events, he said, the events. And how do we know of them? From eyewitnesses from the beginning. Who were they? The Blessed Mother, the Apostles, the Holy Women, perhaps other disciples. Notice, the Gospel was preached before it was written down because the Gospel is the Church. The Church was the proclaimer of the good news. Later on, she wrote it down, as St. Luke does now, uh, so that it wouldn't be forgotten. But she is the proclaimer. She is the Gospel, the Church. Uh, She is the body of Christ, as the second reading told us. And this was handed down to us. I have decided, after investigating everything anew, to write it down for you. And he names the person to whom he's writing. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, no, no doubt Theophilus was an individual, but also it's a, a universal name, since Theophilus means one who is loved by God, and it would apply to all of us. St. John Chrysostom says, if then you love, you love God, then accept this present, meaning the gospel, from the evangelist and keep it very closely united to your heart, what he tells us. And so these are the teachings that you have received. Now, today's gospel now jumps to chapter 4. Our Lord is going through Galilee in the power of the Spirit. People have heard of him. They know of him. Through his preaching, perhaps his miracles. And he's praised by everyone. Speaking in their synagogue. But now he will announce the reason for his coming, who he is, the purpose of his mission. He goes to Nazareth, and we have another section in this gospel next week. Nazareth, as we remember, was a difficult place. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he goes into the synagogue, and the custom was, if you were a recognized teacher, you could proclaim the word and then speak on it for a while if you wished. So our Lord goes, and he is handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which he opens and then reads from it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Notice what he says. It's directed to you and to me. 
to bring glad tidings to the poor. He's not just talking about the economically or socially poor, but those who are poor, who are poor in spirit, who lack uh, the divine life. We were all poor prior to redemption. We may be poor now because our sins make us poor. He's come to bring glad tidings to the poor, to us. We don't have to be poor. And to proclaim liberty to captives, we are also captives of our own selves, of our own egos, and again of our own sins. He's proclaimed liberty, that we can be freed from all of this. We don't have to be slaves to ourselves any longer. Recovery of sight to the blind, we are also blind spiritually often. We don't see what we ought to see. We don't see as God wants us to see it. We don't see as God sees. We see the way we want to see, and we see the things uh, that we want to see in our own time. But Lord says, no, I'm going to give you sight, my sight, to see as I see. To let the oppressed go free. We don't think of ourselves as being oppressed, do we? But we are. We are oppressed again by ourselves, by our sins. They oppress us. They drag us down. Our Lord has come to take us out of all of that into himself. Uh, And to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Holy year. We are in one now. Uh, We do the things we've always... Every now and then the church will have a holy year to make us focus on things we may have forgotten, such as mercy. The theme of this holy year is mercy, and we have to be reminded of God's mercy and of God's love, of God's forgiveness, in a special way during this year. And, of course, there are indulgences attached to it. The, The holy door in Rome exists so that people can go through it to be reminded of God's mercy. They are entering in to the mercy of God. And of course, throughout the diocese, we have the Holy Door, such as the cathedral. The Holy Door is given to us so we can experience God's mercy and be reminded of it. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I've had the experience myself, by the way, of wanting to to gain the indulgence. So you, you do what you must do by way of prayers and confession. And this person told me, I've gone there twice, and they wouldn't let me in because there was something going on. Uh, I had exactly the same experience. Once it was a wedding, another time it was a baptism. So I had to go around to the other door, which is not an unholy door, but it's not the holy door, uh, to go in that way. But in any event, this is a wonderful event for us as a church. We use material things to remind us of God's mercy. And so our Lord then rolls up the scroll and sits down. Rabbis usually preach sitting. They're all looking at him. And he tells them who he is. He proclaims himself to be the Messiah. Today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And he is it. He is the fulfillment of that passage uh, in himself. So they know him to be the Messiah. They do not yet know him to be the Son of God, but they know him to be the Messiah. Since this describes the Messiah, who will bring the freedom that we really want. The freedom from ourselves, and again, the freedom from all that darkness Uh, that emptiness that is, in fact, human sin. Well, we have more than that, though, because we have that Messiah. We are freed not only by way of knowing what he has done, but by way of him coming to us in his body and blood. The Eucharist is the ultimate freedom. When we are in his presence, and if we are able to receive him when we do, we experience that freedom. We are liberated. There is no more liberating event or element than the Eucharist itself. That's how he comes to us. That's how he fulfills everything here and now preparing us for the ultimate fulfillment, of course. So we then have this great event, this great moment, uh, when 
when we become what we were finally meant to become. Our Lord came to bring freedom. How? The cross. It always comes back to the cross. That's how we are freed. That's how we are liberated, through his own suffering and death. That's the only way it can be done. But again, always the cross. So you and I come here now to experience that event, to enter into the freedom that comes only from his sacrifice that becomes present here, and then, if we are able, to receive the liberation that comes only from the reality of his body and blood. So we do that now. We go into that great mystery to be fulfilled, to become what God created us to be.